Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp. Sitting next to me in New York is Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. We're actually joined on the line by none other than Rob Mahoney again. You remember last week's episode got a little contentious. We were really <laughs> debating the merits of Brandon Ingram for about 45 minutes and going yelling back and forth about Ken Bazemore's three-point shooting percentage, and it was very nerdy. This next episode coming up, it's more focused towards the top half of the top 100 list where we're going to you know, d- dig into some of the biggest debates of the top 10, Giannis versus Westbrook. Paul, Chris Paul versus Westbrook, Jimmy Butler versus uh, Paul George. Chunky Stew. Chunky Stew. There's going to be many mentions and, and breakdowns of soup along the way. I like to think that this second one kind of brought us back together, right? It was, Absolutely. It was the full emotional roller coaster. So without further ado, let's just hop into it. Well, we've done up more than an hour now on mostly random topics uh that no casual fan would ever care about one more random asshole before we move to real superstars and some of the debates that you guys had chris middleton at 28 okay if there's one thing that you guys are dedicated to it's flying the middleton flag and continuing this propaganda campaign i like chris middleton okay i'm not gonna let you turn me into a middleton skeptic He's just he's right next to Bradley Beal on this list. He's ahead of CJ McCollum and Kemba Walker. He's ahead of Kevin Love. I mean, like, I think he's just much closer to Otto Porter than Bradley Beal. And he's perfectly fine, but there are limits to what he can bring to the table. He's ahead of DeMar DeRozan again. I don't even want to go down the DeMar DeRozan. Wait, what are road. the limits uh, that he uh, he brings to the table? You know what? Middleton is great if you have two to three all-stars in place and are looking for an, another starter who can help you go win a title, okay? So that is four to five teams out of 30. And that's 15% of the league. Beyond that, if he's your second best player, the ceiling is only going to be so high. And I think that's not reflected in what, this. What do you think the Bucks ceiling is this season? Because he's their second best player. So what's their well, ceiling? Now we're tr- <laughs> no, no, no. We're I'm- getting into dicey territory because I think Giannis is superhuman. Okay, so I think good. he single- I- I he too. counts as like one and a half superstars. But okay, we'll pick an argument. I mean, what's the argument? Either he's well, not good enough to be. Like, they can make the finals. If right? it was, if no, if it was John Wall and Chris Middleton, and that was the duo, the the Wizards would have a significantly lower ceiling than they do with well, Beal. Don't bring John Wall into this. I mean, no, he's dragged out Chris saying, Middleton's reputation. No, that's like a run of the mill All Star. Okay, we don't need like a superhero, but like a an All Star next to Middleton is not going to get you very far, and that's fine. I just, I, what do you think, Rob? Do you have a take? Well, here? isn't that exactly the situation Beal's in? <laughs> I mean, you're not get very far with Beal as your number two guy and that's why they're right there well that's more about John Wall as the number one guy in my opinion but uh Uh, we're making excuses for everybody Rob what do you think of Middleton make the case here I've heard enough from Ben for the last three years explain this to me I mean I'm definitely in more of the Middleton as a second or third star kind of camp I mean the Bucks last year were were basically a top 10 offense despite the fact that they were completely disorganized and a lot of that was Giannis, but a lot of it was Middleton was a 20-point scorer for the first time in his career and a really efficient one at that. And, you know, one of the most efficient scorers in the playoffs just went completely bananas in that first-round series. Mm-hmm. I don't really see – I mean, he can be a go-to kind of guy for stretches. Obviously, he's not the guy you want leading your offense, but in spots, in the right matchups, he's exactly the kind of option you want. A guy who's a wing who's big enough to post up smaller guards – 
who can spot up on the weak side, who has a little bit of a passing game, who's a really good team defender. And I think Milwaukee, I mean, Milwaukee has a lot of really talented players. And I think, you know, we got into Bledsoe a little bit earlier, and I'm sure we'll talk a little Giannis too. But really it was those guys kind of taking turns and, you know, passing the ball off between each other. There wasn't a lot of synergy between those parts. And so if you put Chris Middleton in a place where he's actually allowed to play off of the people around him because the system allows for it, I think he looks pretty damn great. Yeah, I I mean, again, I'm not an anti-Middleton guy. His defense did slip a lot last year, and I know this because I follow too many Bucks fans on Twitter, and they were bitching about him constantly. His shooting also fell off hard to 35% from three, but he's good. He's just not as good as you guys think he is. So His defense did slip a little bit. I mean, I think that that was... You know, a very top-heavy roster where he's doing so much heavy lifting on offense. It was a pretty natural regression there. I mean, he played a huge number of minutes. I mean, I think he is one of these guys where, like, in a vacuum, not only would they have had an average coach, not a below-average coach, they would have had an average approach to his minutes, which would have said, like, we're not going to run you out there for 36 minutes, 82 games, and, you know, expect you to be able to maintain that sort of super-duper high level the whole way through. I mean, I think we were also very impressed with his playoff performance. I mean, Boston, uh, much like with Giannis, like, they didn't really succeed that well in in taking – anything that Middleton away from him that he wanted to do. He was unbelievably efficient in that playoff series. He showed a ceiling that I think a lot of people didn't realize that he had, including yourself. Um, and, you know, I think when you're coming off a playoffs where he basically didn't miss a shot for two weeks straight. I know. How sustainable do you think that is? All right. He got yeah. hot for 10 days. Well, just give him the, the credit Celtics. for it. I, I would like to hear you well, say it. And it's they, nice to hear you say it. So, they lost the series against the Jamie they played Celtics. Two, they played two on five. It lo- the, that series looks differently because of how well Boston performed for the ensuing month. But yeah. Boston's a lot better play. I mean, the Bucks Horf- should have won the series. You call I mean, them the JV Celtics because you don't respect Al Horford. I mean, Al Horford is, is a very, very, very good oh player. Okay, so they're going against you know one of what you would say is the best coach in the NBA, plus what's absolutely a top twenty player in Al Horford. I mean, that's not. Uh, Let me tell you something. I, top thirty to me is is star territory. If you have Giannis and another top thirty player and can't beat Al Horford. Then the other guy isn't a top thirty player. That is my take. It's we, a it's a five we disagree. It, it's here. a five man sport though. Okay, fair enough. I mean, we're you, just, you, we're you were talking about their Jason, depth the whole way. Yeah, you were just saying Jason Tatum is in that category. So yeah. if, the, if the Celtics mm, do yeah. have so now, yeah. oh boy, how talented are they, man? The best coach in the NBA. Can I can I tell uh, you something? Oh boy, what I said about Tatum, I think will be true. The, this coming season. I don't think even you can go back and look at some of those Bucks well, games. How I sustainable think, is his playoffs, Andrew? He didn't miss a shot either. I mean, he well, had an incredible playoff performance yeah, the whole way through. I, what, all I'm saying is I think he's going to turn into somebody who is a lot more dependable. That playoff run was a different thing um, where he was great one game and then would kind of disappear the next game. Can I, this is Which, a bigger picture point. When you're saying the top, I think of, you know, top 30 guys as like a superstar player. There's not that many guys in the NBA. There just aren't. You know, if you go back and look at the next ten guys behind Middleton and tell me how many of those guys are really superstar level players, they're not there. To me, they're right now. It, your definition of a superstar in terms of what you think about, like a lead, you know, offense first type guy, 
there's 14 to 16 of those guys in the league, right? And so somebody else has to fill in those spots afterwards. And what we're trying to see is who are the most valuable overall players who do the most types of things. I know to... what you're trying to do. Okay. I, okay well, I'm just saying, no, your, your definition that you just said is, okay, there's, you know, I think of a top 30 guy as this, and I'm saying there's not 30 players who fit that bill. Okay. I, all I'm saying is that let's not overreact to two weeks of of Chris Middleton looking like a superstar. Well, we're not because we were right last year about him. You haven't admitted it. And we were right the year before about him and you haven't admitted it. <laughs> we're not overreacting to anything. We've been on Chris Middleton's train for three years now and he has proved us right every step of the way. Okay. Well, continuing on here because I just don't care enough. You guys can be wrong. It's fine. Um, the uh, By the way, Bradley Beal in the playoffs as a supporting superstar against the Celtics a couple years ago. He was the guy who had 40 and looked awesome in the game seven. It was Wall who kind of disappeared. So are you saying he should be above Wall, or are you saying we have him in the right zone because he I played almost as well as Chris Middleton against oh. the Celtics in the playoffs? <laughs> killing me. <laughs> Driving me absolutely insane. All right, couple, we'll finish off with some questions here from listeners. Nolan says... Ben and Rob, you guys did an amazing job. I have no major bones to pick outside of potentially putting Steph over KD. Hashtag Steph better. Shout out Andy Lou. But I do have one minor issue I'm curious about. Were you guys surprised at how low Clay ended up? He ended up at 22 for people who don't have the list in front of them, which is pretty much everybody. Um... He's behind LaMarcus Aldridge and behind Victor Oladipo. So how did that go for you guys with Clay? I think he fell more or less where we thought he would. I mean, this is kind of has been the range for him pretty consistently in terms of his peers in this group and just kind of how we consider him, in part because he, he's shown in a really positive light with the Warriors because he doesn't have to handle the ball ever. And that can be, you know, he can have great scoring nights where he only dribbles the ball six times or whatever. The ball's only in his hands for X seconds, and that's wonderful. But realistically, if you put him on a more average team, he's going to have to do more of that. And it's just not really in his game. And so I think with the Warriors, not only does he have that working in his favor, but also I think he's probably a little overstated as a defender at this point, given that he's not really at that elite class of a perimeter defender. He's really helpful because he can switch between ones and twos. He can even kind of body up some of the bigger threes and provide some resistance there. But he's not really measuring up to, you know, the Kawhi Leonard, the Paul George class of defender per se. And so he's a really effective two-way player. We don't want to take anything away from him. One of the best shooters in the league and, and when all said and done, probably one of the best in NBA history. But he's a guy with a pretty narrow skill set in, in terms of what he can do for you offensively. And so, again, when you're looking at these kind of secondary stars, you want guys who can bring a little more to the table as a creator. And it's great that you can run all this action for him where he's moving off the ball, but he needs to do a little bit more to really vault into that, that next class of player. And it just, it's, I don't think he's going to do that at any point, really. This is just kind of comfortably where he is. And I think he's probably as much at, uh, at peace with that as anyone. I do think he owes a chunk of his defensive reputation to playing with Draymond because I think he really likes to get up in people's jersey, harass ball handlers, be right on their dribble, contest shots hard, and you've got Draymond behind you kind of playing defense. And, um, you know, that just – he covers up so many mistakes by everyone that – you know, it's it's a real wonder that he didn't make our top 10 now that I'm thinking about it, but whatever. Um, In terms of uh, Clay's offense, uh, I think there's some questions too about – if you have him in the vacuum, not only 
does his ball handling get exposed a little bit more? But what do his quality of his shots look like, right? Like Clay only needs a split second to get open, right? But if you only have an average point guard setting you up, do they get the ball on time on target for him to pull up? Or is he doing more uh, three-pointers off the dribble? Uh, is he just, you know, more tough, you know, fadeaway type shots out of the run? I mean, I think he really benefits not only from their system, but having Steph specifically and now KD as well in terms of making sure that he is able to be the most lethal possible version of himself um, that he can be. And of course he can get hot too, without help from anyone, you know, he can hit seven threes, no problem. Uh, But I think that he would be viewed as a different player on an average team, like Rob mentioned in lots of different ways, not only what's perceived as his strengths, but also his weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would think of it, I would think of it this way where the clay we see now is the Steve Kerr fully modernized clay Thompson him on an average team is Mark Jackson, Clay Thompson, where it's like posting him up against Tony Parker 15 times a game in a playoff series. It's just a totally (laughs) different level of efficiency involved with that. That's a great point. Uh, I I agree with all, all of what you guys are saying. And I, the, the only thing I would add is that Nolan compared him to Ray Allen and Reggie Miller and guys who were able to carry solid offenses and pointed out, which I don't think about enough, is that Clay was the number two scoring option on a title team back in 2015, and he got 19 a game on 44, 39, 80, which is good at 55% true shooting percentage. But Middleton numbers, but um, I th- <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Middleton was a better shooter for the record. Middleton would be Clay Thompson and would be as valuable as you're saying he is. Middleton shoots 36% from three. Do you think that that number well, could well, be well, influenced well, well. at I mean, all by the presence of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant in terms of the quality of shots? Perhaps, Maybe just perhaps. a little bit. Again, if you have a couple of all-stars, Middleton is great. He's exactly what you're looking for. Um Moving well, on. Over a four over a four year stretch too. I mean, Middleton had I, a down shooting season, shot thirty six percent. Over the previous three years, basically at forty percent or better every year. I okay. mean, I think the forty percent is closer to the mean for him than the thirty six is. Um I fair enough. Uh Mike says, Come on, friends, please don't put Jokic over towns. The guy running our team just signed Luel Dang and he's probably going for Joe Kim Noah next. What do you have to say to Minnesota Timberwolves fans? Because let me tell you, Rob, openfloormail at gmail.com has gotten like 15 different Wolves fans crying out for help in the last week. I actually think everybody's overreacting to the Luol Dang stuff. It's not really that big of a deal either way. But Jokic over Towns is quite a statement. So explain yourselves. Rob, you can start. Yeah, I don't, I don't- other than the obvious punchlines, I don't really see the problem with the Luol Deng thing. If Sports Illustrated wanted to sign Luol Deng for the minimum to punch up our staff and give us some veteran leadership, I would be you know 100% what? okay with that. I completely agree that Luol Deng is a cool enough guy that if you're just bringing him in to be there and hang out for nine months, like it's to a like, good idea. To blog? Do, what, 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 you like, want him to bring him on no, to Sports no. Illustrated? <laughs> if you're the Wolves, he's a really smart player and a smart person, and it's a good, a good person to have in so, the locker. Part-time small forward, uh, part-time digital content. (laughs) Yeah, and I should also add the caveat that all of this is true, provided that Tibbs is not bringing Dang in to, like, gang up on Wiggins and Towns with Jimmy Butler and all the other ex-Bulls. But moving back to what (laughs) we're supposed to be, tell me why Jokic is better than Towns. I think it's really close. It's very close. I mean, this was functionally probably the closest thing we had to a tie at any point in the list. And it was something we went back and forth on. 
uh, I think in the initial versions of the list, Towns is above him. We ended up kind of moving Jokic up on the basis of just how much he makes everyone else better versus Towns. We ran into that issue where he's super efficient on his own, but he's still kind of learning kind of when to pick his spots in certain areas. Defensively, he probably has even less of an idea of where to be than Jokic does at this point. And so they share a lot of the same limitations and weaknesses. But Jokic, you have a guy who is pretty much just as, you know, not quite as efficient shot for shot, but is well over kind of what we would want of a big man in terms of how he's scoring and how efficiently he's scoring. And on top of that, he's one of the most prolific assisting centers in NBA history. I believe the most prolific in the three-point era for sure. And so that combined with the way all his teammates just jump in terms of their shooting percentages with him on the floor, the way you see, you know, you're allowed to play a point guard like Jamal Murray, who isn't the best pure playmaker. You're allowed to play a guy like Gary Harris, who isn't going to be handling the ball a ton, but moving around a la Clay Thompson a lot. And you can do that because of a guy like Jokic. And so he creates different lineups for you that allow other players to thrive, not just in terms of how they shoot, but who can actually play. And that was enough of a you know enough of an edge to just nudge him over Towns a little bit. But really, I mean, if you prefer Towns, that's totally fine. It's going to come down to a matter of taste and a matter of who else is on the floor with him. We thought Jokic just kind of opens up a little bit more in terms of an average vacuum type setting. So I do prefer Towns. I do like Jokic. We're top twenty on this list, and everybody should go to si.com and read the entire list. Top twenty, everybody is good. I think Jokic is going to be awesome this year. To me, though, the the difference is that Jokic is an F on defense, whereas Towns is like a D plus. No, I, I I'm serious. I'd like, rather have Jokic defensively than Towns. Really? Yeah, I would. Wow. Yeah. I you mean, I think he's that bad because I I mean, Towns has moments where he's clearly spaced out, and you look at him and you're like, what the hell is going on? But I don't think he's quite as limited. Like. I think there are there's a version of Towns where he gets it and kind of locks in and they can be decent. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's impossible with Jokic. I think what you said at the very start was right. It's super duper close, and you will wind up offending people by taking the other guy. We don't dislike Towns. Like yeah. Towns is a very very good player. The the determining factor to us was what Rob said in terms of making your teammates better. Our big question was, and I like that take a lot. If Towns, if they're both bad on defense, even if we just say they're a wash on defense, or even if we take your stance and say Towns is a little bit better on defense, who does Towns make better? Like, what's the situation where you know he's really helping guys? So his three point shooting definitely creates space for some other guys. He's helping, uh, you know, point guards. Like, you know, if you have a point guard who's super limited, you just give him the ball. You know, he can definitely go and create a shot for himself, right? But uh, is he going to lead you to an elite offense if they didn't have Butler? And, and to us, when we looked at sort of their on-off metrics and uh, their rankings like this season compared to the previous season, we just kept feeling like Butler deserved all the credit for what Minnesota was doing to improve as a team, right? I think the comparison I used was like Wiggins's minutes were like a watery broth and Butler's were like a chunky stew, right? It's yeah. like everything he's doing on the court is having a you know direct impact upon their winning. And so, um, you know, I, I just think when you're looking at Jokic with the ball in his hands, especially, as you know, we tend to favor guys like Harden or Curry over an Anthony Davis just because they have the ball more. They're playing more of a lead role. And it's weird to think about Jokic in that same way, but he is such a fulcrum for their offense that, like, he is influencing their scoring opportunities almost every single time down the court. And, you know, even if he goes away, you know, like, let's say he just, you know, misses five or six shots in a row, right? He goes cold. Uh, he's never going to be as invisible for their offense as sometimes Towns gets, uh, either when Butler takes over or when, you know, a team just has a good defensive matchup for him. 
Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, and again, I, I, I like going out on that limb. I just think Towns, his offense as a scorer is so good that... Uh, we, we definitely agree there. I mean, yeah. like... He was – there was never a point where we are like, oh, his talent's a top 20 guy. It was like, okay, where does he fit between like 13 and 19, right? Yeah. Like that was like – his offense is so good, so it's like how much do you penalize him for some of the things that we've talked about, whether it's the defense or the lack of playmaking for others or, or whatever. One other thing is uh, while we're talking Jokic, I think Jamal Murray – I'm not trying to ding you guys for having him too low. I do think that he's going to end up being in the C.J. McCollum, Donovan Mitchell Ooh. territory on this list. Wow, you're time. really high on Jamal Murray. Well, I thought I was no, high on Jamal I, Murray. I think he's just going to be very solid. Um, and as a, as a kind of like not an all-star, but in that like next tier. Um, but speaking of a real all-star, um, and a lot of people think is like an MVP candidate, a lot of people were pissed off by where Kyrie Irving landed on this list. Um, <laughs> James says, is it fair to accuse Ben of overthinking it with Kyrie? Mm. I can't picture a world where the Warriors would rather face Kyrie than Rudy Gobert. Do you think the degree of difficulty with Kyrie's shot making gets lost when analyzing him? Let me say two things. Number one, I do think that the, the shot making gets lost when you guys talk about him and the, and the value that creates in a playoff setting. And number two, I would say that the who do, who do the Warriors want to face is not the right way to analyze Rudy Gobert. But take me through your Kyrie process. But hold on. Why do you say that we have lost sight of his playmaking and shot-making abilities when, even though he missed a ton of time last season, we still have him ranked, you know, as a top 17 guy? I mean, why are we overlooking that? I mean, I feel like we are giving him a lot of credit for that, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I if, just... he's, if he's a minus defender or average at best defensive player and he's a 17th in this, in this list and, you know, you've got tons of two-way talent guys above him, how are we losing sight of it? I think we're giving him proper credit for it. Let me walk you through the spectrum of Kyrie valuation, okay? You have the Kobe, Stan, psychotic way to look at Kyrie, which is that, like, Kyrie is a top-five guy. He's won a title. What more do you need to see? He's not that, okay? We can agree on that. I I think that there are other ways. You can also say Kyrie is a chucker who's overrated, who should be in, like, the... uh, C.J. McCollum, Kemba Walker category, and he's always been a fraud, and he's not that either. I I think there are two ways to look at where he lands in between there. I, you could say, number one, that he's has all the same weaknesses as Damian Lillard, but more playoff upside, and that should break the tie between the two. Lillard is at 15 on this list, and I, I, I would at least have Kyrie 15 and Lillard 17. Look, if Kyrie played 75 games— Yeah, so is it, is it just a durability thing? I mean, durability is a huge factor here. I mean, the last three seasons he played 53, 72, 60, and he's, he had the other injury in the playoffs where, like, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of become a persistent thing. I think with Lillard— um, if you gave him Boston's uh, setup, right, like yeah. and the talent level there, I think that Lillard would look significantly better than he has in Portland as a number one option. And I also think that Kyrie would run into a lot of the same problems that Lillard's run into uh, with, you know, playing in lineups that have like three offensive holes, right? So it's like, you know, Kyrie's in a, in a situation where both in Cleveland and in Boston, we're like, you can't hard trap Kyrie. You're going to get burned, exactly. right? And yes. so 
I think that those two guys are very, very close. The tiebreaker for us was Lillard's durability. And also, um, you know, I think he probably has been a little bit underrated, Lillard has, in terms of his leadership ability. I agree. And I like that you're dinging Kyrie to some degree because I think if you gave Kyrie Dame's Blazers teams the last three or four years, like they, there's no way they're as successful as they have been with Lillard. To me, though, I do value the ability to raise the ceiling in a playoff setting more than that, and and that's why I would have Lillard above him. I value it enough in terms of the ability to create shots and take over the end of games. I think you could make a good case that he should be 11th on this list and flip yeah. him with like Paul George. How many playoff games did he play last year? Yes. Okay. So health, that, that's is, the health is your yeah. explanation. Uh, yeah, it well, is and, a major. And as Ben factor. mentioned, it's kind of uh, it's kind of double sided too. Where not only is Kyrie injured a lot, but the Lillard comparison especially does him absolutely no favors. Lillard has missed twenty four total games over six years. Yeah. So it's just it's an especially brutal comparison for him availability wise. Yeah. Which I've been told is the most important ability. I don't <laughs> I don't know about that. I, yeah. It's the greatest ability. I'll, that'll be etched into my brain 50 years from now. Um, Kyle will still be talking about the top 100. Uh, Kawhi Leonard at 12, though. Um, this was If you want to accuse us of hot takes, by the way, this uh, was our hottest take, Andrew. I loved it. I loved it. I love that Raptors fans are still pissed off at Ben. I don't know how much you guys watch the reactions to some of this, but there were Raptors fans screenshotting Golliver's Kawhi blurb, and it was just all fantastic. Um, and I, look, I agree with you guys having him at twelve. Really? I think. Wait, 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 really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, think, if you had done this, you would have said not a top ten, not not a top ten player. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? All right, I, let's stop. Let's wrap it up now. We're not. We're not getting any better. <laughs> this is amazing. I I thought you were going to go the other way. No, look, Kawhi either missed eighteen months with an injury that no one can explain and that that is really concerning, or he just quit on a, a really good Spurs team and a lot of great teammates didn't communicate with the team or the media. And is now in Toronto. We still haven't. It's kind of amazing we haven't heard from him since coming to Toronto. I mean, there are some real reasons to be cautious about Kawhi yeah. hype. That picture from Toronto did have kind of like a staged moon landing vibe. He looked vibe. like a hostage. <laughs> like, are, are we sure that was in Toronto? <laughs> are we totally sure? And I want to be clear. I'm not anti-Raptors at all. I do think it's absolutely incredible that the Raptors fans are already completely in the tank for like Kawhi is on KD's level type buzz. And then they've been all making that case and they were all like, are you kidding me? Kawhi's not even in the top 10. Take it down a notch. Let him play a month before you turn into full-fledged termites yeah. here. You flipped this entire podcast vibe on its head with this take, Andrew. I was so frustrated with you until about 30 seconds ago, <laughs> and now just listening to you speak truth. <laughs> the broken clock was right on this one, Andrew. I'm, no, I'm proud of you. It's just incredible to me that they are really just all the way off the deep end Hey, Rob, can, can you explain, though, sort of, when we were looking at Kawhi, I think we were maybe in the range of like 7 to 12 when we were kind of walking through it. And in terms of some of the guys who didn't have any injury issues, we felt like had to be above him. The guys who didn't have any of the questions, you know, of course he's going to be behind those guys. Uh, but, you know, when we were parsing him against the likes of Butler or Paul George or Embiid, I mean, 
what was our thought process exactly in keeping him out of the top 10? Because, um, of course, it's, you know, it's the health stuff that Andrew mentioned, but it's also like the reliability factor too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's which of those guys is going to show up. And, I mean, that's honestly, that's a really understated part when you're talking about the comparison of those players where, yeah, those guys are going to be injured. Butler's going to miss some games. Paul George has been largely healthy since his leg injury but might miss some time. Uh, but at least those guys are going to be largely available. They're going to be a part of your ecosystem. And I think for if we've rated one thing very consistently over the life of doing these lists, it's the guys who really give you that kind of organizational structure. It's the Steph Curry guys. It's the Tim Duncan guys. It's these guys who really give you something as an organization to build around and to rally around. And when your best player bails on you over the course of the season, or as Andrew said, has an 18-month injury that's beyond concerning – I think you're going to take a pretty significant ding from that. I mean, I think if at any point in your career you make Manu Ginobili call a meeting to assess your status, <laughs> it's just an automatic like five to seven yeah. rank ding. You oh. are ten spots lower if you it, piss off Manu. It, looking back on it with the benefit of time, the way Kawhi conducted himself was absolutely reprehensible. I mean, it was awful. You know, I mean, yeah. just step by step by step, he made so many poor decisions, and I think he has to pay the price for that. And can I say, it's like borderline demeaning to not crush him for that, okay? <laughs> because anyone else in his position, yeah. we would be like, take ownership of your own life. This is disgraceful. Well, here, Call a press conference, at least communicate with the team. He did none of that, yeah. and everyone's like, you know, that's just the way Kawhi is wired. Yeah. Well, that's that, that doesn't work if you're the franchise guy. But let me ask you this. We've talked about this hypothetical of like, oh, LeBron, what if he had done it? Or what if KD done, had done it? Or what if Steph Curry had done it? Like, And, of course, you can never imagine those guys disappearing off the face of the planet, right? But here's another hypothetical to consider. Imagine if Jimmy Butler or Joel Embiid or Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook, guys who are sort of in the same range with Kawhi, Imagine if those guys had been traded for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl. What would the reaction have been? Because obviously when San Antonio did <laughs> that's a, that's a it, it was fight. like, oh my God, well, at least we got like a top 30 player and like we don't have to deal with this drama anymore. And like, okay, you can kind of see where San Antonio's front office was coming from. If Oklahoma City traded Russell Westbrook for DeMar DeRozan uh, and Jakob Pertl, they would burn the building down in Oklahoma City. Sam Presti would be run out of town, tarred and feathered. It would have just been like the biggest backlash possible. And I think the difference in terms of how those fan bases reacted, you know, of course, San Antonio had a few months to sort of get used to how this was going, but it was also a reflection of like, what is Kawhi's real value right now? I mean, if this is the guy you're dealing with, someone you have to kind of like work around and get through and try to establish a relationship with and beg to smile for a photo and all this other stuff, that is requires a hit to his value. It just does. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah, that's a great point. What do you What do you think? I Rob? think we're. I, well, I think we're really upfront about the fact that if Kawhi plays to his capability, he's a top five kind of guy. Yes. But in terms of the, the last calendar year that he's had, I don't know that any top ten player in recent memory has had so bad a year in terms of alienating an entire organization, in terms of casting doubt as to his availability due to injury. Like, we have no idea what he's going to look like when he's on the court, and we don't know, for, for that matter, like how many franchises he would even show up to play for. And so the questions around him are so significant at this point that that just outweighed for us, okay, obviously this guy was really good at basketball and probably will still be really good at basketball at some point, but on a one-year timetable, 
I, I wouldn't feel comfortable betting anything on what Kawhi Leonard is going to do next year. Yeah, and I think that's the right place to be. And I, I'm glad you said that the best version of Kawhi's season is going to make the Raptors finals contenders. And, and, and I don't blame Raptors fans for believing in that possibility. They should. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what we would like the most? We would love for him to come and win MVP and prove us wrong. Because you want to know why? We would get Kawhi Leonard back in our lives. I completely yep. agree. What's crazy, though, is for Raptors fans to demand that other people believe in that also. Because any objective party right. should step back and be like, well, let's wait and see on Look, Kawhi hype. The, the true secret of all of this is that we love and respect the termites. We knew exactly we, we knew exactly how they would react to this. They came through completely on brand. We respect the passion, and we're hoping for the best for Kawhi Leonard. But Can I be honest with you? That's not how this works. I didn't think they did. I did not think they would react this way. I thought maybe there was some post-traumatic stress like, from the... <laughs> hanging on to DeMarlo. Well, yeah, from the playoffs and the way the hype had gone last May. And then I thought that everyone was kind of in for just a weird year with Kawhi, but they're all in and more more power to them. Um Look, it's not all their right. fault because there's a lot of Raptors fans in the Toronto media. You know, that's part of the problem is like they're never going to tell you the negatives of Kawhi. Yeah. Because they're just going to be singing his praises the whole way and, and talking about how he's the best player in franchise history, which he is on paper, and getting all excited about the finals run, which probably won't happen. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little dose of levity in your overall daily diet. Don't shoot the messenger, Raptors fans. You know, just. And I do hope Kawhi comes back. And turns into the ass kicker who is just annihilating people the, through the final six months of like the 2017 season. That guy was awesome. That's and what it I'm would saying. Be great to have Absolutely. him back in the NBA. The, the best case scenario is we get LeBron versus Kawhi, like MVP level death match, right? Um, all right, moving Look, on. We're we're, uh, we're perfectly willing to mix the Kool Aid. Just don't expect us to drink it yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm with you. Uh, for once here on this podcast, this is a nice moment of unity. We probably should end there, but at this point, first of all, I think we're going to break these into two pods. We're now approaching two hours. Um, but uh, Paul George and Draymond, could I just make the case for swapping them on this list? I think George just had a pretty uneven year in Oklahoma City. His shooting and defense both slipped, and I, for me... Like he just disappeared in some of those jazz games. And Draymond is basically the greatest role player imaginable. And I think George at this point has proven that he's better as a complimentary star than the lead superstar. And I think Draymond is better as a complimentary star than Paul George is. What do you guys think? Did his shooting slip? Uh George, I mean the last couple months of the season he was he was way off it had fallen off a cliff i mean he definitely had especially in the playoffs you know the elimination game in particular had some very weird moments i think with george though again he's another one of these guys who is doing enough things at a b to b plus level that it's really hard to discount him we're not going to disparage draymond i don't think it's really in the dna of ben and i or this exercise because he obviously shows out really well here uh but you do have a case with draymond where putting him in different kinds of scenarios puts a lot of things up in the air just because he's not much of a scorer and he doesn't really have the ability to be much of one. And so if you take him away from one of the best offensive players of all time and one of the most stacked teams of all time, 
yes, he's a great playmaker. He's going to be an all-NBA-level defender, probably, assuming that he's really motivated and, and in shape and does all the things he does for the Warriors. But I think there's a little bit more variability there where there might not be with George, where George has a lot of limitations, but we've seen him be the number one guy on a playoff team and those teams be at least solid. We've seen him be a secondary guy in Oklahoma City, and I think that team is positioned to be even better next season with some of its roster issues resolved. Draymond is, is kind of who he is, and I agree that he's, as a secondary guy, one of the best in the league and is, is really an amazing talent. It's just George, both by virtue of the position that he plays and the relative scarcity of good wings in the NBA, and especially good two-way wings, it just gives him a little bit of a nudge in that regard because there isn't there aren't quite as many questions with him. Andrew, do I ever admit that I'm wrong or change my opinion about everything? Basically, the answer is no. But you heard earlier in this podcast where I was like, yeah, we probably should have Draymond in the top 10. Uh-huh. I mean, that's because in my heart, Draymond is seven. You know, like right. I, that's where my emotional version of like, if I was actually the GM he, drafting these players. He's your Brandon Ingram. He, <laughs> <laughs> he said better in every possible way, but yes. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny though, because thinking this through, like if you put Draymond on the Lakers versus Paul George on the Lakers, I think the Lakers would be better with Draymond. I agree. Um, it, it's These guys are really close though. I think we were spooked a little bit by how much Draymond ramped it down during the regular season. <laughs> and we also, he sure did. The also thing is, you know, Mike, I was mentioning earlier with clay in terms of how he benefits from the other individual stars in this group. Draymond does a lot too, right? Yeah. Like his offensive value. If you take even one of those shooters away from him or, or let alone two of those shooters away from him, he would not be viewed as this like two way big impact guy. He would be viewed as, I think a very strong front court playmaker, a guy with great passing, but He's able to make a lot of his passes because they enjoy the best spacing in the league, right? That's a phrase that I've never heard used before. Ramp it down. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that we brought it out for Draymond because he does deserve some revolutionary uh, descriptions for his re- regular season. Uh, but I, I think the the takeaway on Draymond, more than comparing him to Paul George, you know, in the blurb, I just want to underscore how much of a postseason performer he was. I mean, led the Warriors in minutes rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. I believe I mentioned that on last week's podcast as well. His postseason track record was just lights out. And I think if he was in a vacuum, I also think he would try harder across the board, right? Like they have the ability to sort of coast in part because they trust that Draymond will be able to ramp it up when they need to, right? Um, Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts there, Rob, before we move to top 10? I mean, another Draymond-related thing is that, you know, when we're talking about basically a 6'6 power forward center, every ounce of age-related decline is going to hurt him a little bit. And he, yes. you know, he's one of these guys who's still kind of in the prime of his career, but as he starts to peter over it even a little bit, those things could be really costly. And, like, believe it or not, Paul George is younger than him. Paul well, George has been in the league for a long time, but Draymond was, you know, an extended college career. He's going to be having some heavy miles from playing all these long seasons and post seasons. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point it starts to catch up with him a little bit, just in terms of what he's physically able to do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's what we thought was happening last year. And then he turned it on and dominated almost everyone he played in the playoffs, almost every game. Totally. He played. And, and so at this point I'm suspending disbelief with Draymond, even with the health stuff at least for the next year. And then after that, it gets kind of thorny. Um, but, 
The I also think Paul George has health questions of his own going forward that people should be a little careful about. Um, yeah, it's like if you're the Thunder and you've invested hundred, I mean, what <laughs> almost like almost a half billion, right? In in George and and Westbrook, and they both have it's, knee surgeries this summer. You know, yeah. it's like ugh. I know. Let's wait and see. We should give OKC though. They're very good at like trying to slide the knee surgeries under the radar. Like Paul George, people didn't even really <laughs> realize he had it. You know, like they throw that big party with Nas, and people just forget he has the knee surgery and then Westbrook they just sneak it out they're like oh the top 100's out let's like leak this uh, knee surgery when no one's paying attention <laughs> you know what else is funny with OKC is like we hear from all these different fan bases and we get pretty reckless when it's time to talk about the Thunder and we never really hear from Thunder fans that's because there's like 15 Thunder podcasts so like we're, <laughs> we're not cracking Maybe. people's rotations they're, they're searching for state sponsored media uh, I hear that um, Amar says I've been enjoying the Open Floor podcast for about two years now, using it as a respite for an L.A. native who is now living in the basketball desert that is Washington, D.C. In that time, (laughs) I have thought about writing into Open Floor Mail, but I've never been moved. That is, until I read Ben's summary of Jimmy Butler in the SI Top 100. All I want to say is this. In the oversaturated world of podcasts, Open Floor is chunky stew, all other podcasts are watery broths. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that's a very nice compliment. I didn't really know. I didn't read your Jimmy Butler blurb. So surprise, surprise. That reference you start, was lost you on start me. off the podcast saying that you read it and you didn't read the top um, 10. But uh, thank you, Amar. And that's a good way in to talk about Jimmy Butler at 10. I explain. I like having him exactly where he is, but make the case, Rob. I mean, I'm not sure I can make the case better than Chunky Stew, to be honest. <laughs> I don't really get the case for I don't get the Chunky <laughs> the Chunky Stew thing. So hit make that case, Ben. <laughs> the idea with the Chunky Stew is like the ingredients you need to really be fully satisfied if you're Chunky Stew. I'm not some like snoo- soup guy, right? Okay, but like if you're just, Chunky Stew is not particularly appetizing. But it's going to fill real. you. Up, it's going to be better than a, just a bowl of water with sodium. I mean, if you're having just a sodium water. Soup. Chunky stew actually is an apt metaphor for what the wolves were last year, yep. which is like technically satisfying, but like deeply frustrating <laughs> in a lot of ways. The idea is that you're gonna need probably a fork to get through the chunky stew, whereas you could just like drink the the bowl of water. If you're sure. a- Andrew Wiggins' minutes is the bowl of water with a little bit of like top ramen seasoning, you know, put okay. on top, and you're calling that a meal, and you're leaving very unsatisfied. Butler's the opposite. You're getting some meat. The you're getting some you potatoes. Need. You know, you might be getting some like I don't know quinoa, whatever else you're throwing in there, right? Um, it was a tricky spot. The tenth spot was really, really hard because obviously the top ten ranking matters a lot, or you know, relatively compared to the other stuff. Well, it's actually really interesting because there are eight players who are definitely in the top eight, yep. and then it's kind of a roll of the dice with like, whoever you wh- want. Which injured guy do you want to take on his wrist, right? Whether it's Chris Paul, Joel Embiid. Butler, Paul George has had injuries in the past, and then Kawhi Leonard, right? That whole group was was pretty tough. I think Butler versus George was a long debate because they kind of play similar positions. We just like Butler's style of play a little bit more, more downhill, more, uh, you know, drawing the attention of the defense, more trips to the free throw line, um, and just more 
naturally attuned to life as a number one option, whereas George is, you know, one of the very best number two options in the league and could work with basically anyone. The downside to that is you're making sort of a deal with the devil if you have Butler on your team where it's like, this is Butler's team, right? Yeah. Like trying to play him in a number two role probably wouldn't work out and as well. I would have penalized him more for that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I do, like, I love Jimmy Butler and think he's not appreciated enough. Like, I was writing MVP columns yeah. for him in January, but. He is very much like if Jimmy Butler's on your team, you're playing on his terms no matter yeah. what. No, it's it's an issue. It's a known issue. There's no doubt about it. Um, but we also just saw when you are Paul George's team in Indiana, uh, <laughs> Larry Bird quits and like drives an Indy car through New York City because he like wants to get out of there so badly, right? So I would have had George b- much lower than uh, 11. But again, uh, we're, I, th- I feel so like... The case for Butler, though, is... Like magnificent impact both offensively and defensively when he was on the court. I mean, he was among the very best players in real plus minus, which shows that impact, you know, most clearly. When they played with him, he, they were like a 50-plus win team. When they played without him, they were in the 30s in terms of, you know, where they would have tracked over an 82-game season. And he was the major difference for that squad. You know, everything you want to say about Wiggins maybe regressing a little bit, Towns, yeah. uh, you know, was was very accommodating and bringing, uh, you know, Jim Lee Butler aboard. Teague was just kind of, you know, bland old Teague, right? Butler was the heart and soul of that team. And despite his injury issues, he winds up finishing above George uh, and some of these other guys in basically every advanced stat at the, out there. So he had a very compelling case. I mean, the, the, the weaknesses, of course, are multiple injuries in past seasons that could come back up. Like much like Draymond, his uh, sort of window in terms of being, you know, like the, the extended window of how long he's going to be an elite player is probably shorter than a lot of other guys in this range. Um, and then obviously the personality stuff, which you mentioned, but um, he was a soft 10. Let's put it that way. Like it wasn't like lock him in at 10. There was a lot of debate around that position. Yeah. And you know what I would add is that that's why I like it. I do think the lim- the window is limited for Jimmy Butler in terms of how long he's going to be elite. And he is right now. So while he is, give him the love he deserves, the chunky stew. Uh, and then, like, I don't know if you're giving him. He it's, is it's, the chunky he's stew. He's the chunky Sorry. stew. <laughs> His minutes are the chunky stew. Okay. But it sounded better when I wrote it than when you said it out loud. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, again, the problem is chunky stew itself. But... Moving on here, uh, by, by the way, this this is another reason where I, I don't think people are crazy when they say Kyrie should be in the top 12 because it does get very amorphous w- with this zone. Um, and beat at nine, though, we've mentioned injury concerns a dozen different times on this podcast. And here's here's my issue with Embiid at nine. I think that if you're going to have him at nine, you're assuming he's healthy and a little bit better and more efficient than he was last season and if both of those things are true then I think you can make the case that he's more valuable than Russell Westbrook at seven and maybe more valuable than Giannis and maybe like a top five guy so where do you come down are you basically just sort of splitting the difference between what he could be healthy and what he would be if he plays 60 games no, I think I think that's exactly the case. And some of it's just like, especially Westbrook coming in before knowledge of the knee surgery and yeah. these other high-level guys like Giannis and Anthony Davis. Like, you can't just wave, you know, wave your hand and w- wish away the fact that those guys are playing a huge number of games and hugely impactful minutes for teams. Whereas Embiid, obviously, every second he's on the floor, he's an excellent player. 
But if the healthiest season we've seen from you is 63 games and there's a realistic possibility you play fewer than that, I don't see how you could crack into that really elite class. And so we kind of put him right there straddling it, whereas Ben said if Butler is kind of the soft 10 and there's some wiggle room there and there's some debate there. And, you know, Chris Paul is really in that class, a guy who, who had an MVP level impact last season, even yeah. if he you know, missed some games as well. And Westbrook, you're getting into these guys who are really carrying teams and entire organizations. Embiid, for as good as he is, you know, you just have to take those sure things in terms of the guys who are going to be on the court. And so this is, I think, probably the healthiest Embiid, or at least the most optimistic we could be about Embiid going into a season in regard to his health. But we still have to show some caution there. Look, Embiid made us look bad last year because we had him in the 40s and he way outplayed it. And he could make us look bad this year by playing 45 games, which is a scenario that no one's talking about. It's in play, yeah. Of course, you have to consider it given his track record, right? I think just the overall momentum that he generated over the course of last year was so positive and he was so dominant when he was on the court that that to me was convincing enough. I mean, he's basically an elite defense by himself. Like, he has a lot of help there, but even if you put him in a vacuum, you're going to have probably a top-five defense with him on the court. And the only other guy I would really say that about in the entire league would be probably Gobert. Gobert, yeah. So That's the thing, is he's Gobert plus all kinds of shit on offense. Yes, and And, and not all of it's good, by the way. Like, there's definitely room for him to improve offensively, and I'm really hoping that we see better shot selection in year two. I'm hoping we see a little bit better conditioning in year two. I'm hoping we see fewer turnovers in year two. And so when you start to realize that this is already kind of a game-changing two-way all-star level center at his age, but he's still young enough where he can improve substantially, like even if he plays 70 games, he should be a top 10 guy. Yeah, uh, I I agree with that. And I, I think the case against healthy Embiid not being like top eight is that he's less effective in the playoffs. And at least that's what we've seen so far. And I think yeah. and proceeding with caution there. Is I, probably- I want to make one point on that because we got some flack about that with Gobert as well. How many teams can exploit these centers, really exploit them? It's Golden State, it's Houston, and it's, it's Boston. probably Boston, right? So you've got three teams. So if your center can stay on the court and impact the game as, an, you know, as a high-level player against 26 teams, yeah. right? That's that's pretty good. And I think there's too much emphasis is being placed on those three teams who can exploit those guys and not enough on the wider picture of the teams where, like Miami, Embiid totally. basically I'm, took Whiteside out of the picture, right? And so there's a difference between saying that's why your point is why we didn't have Embiid in the top five. Yes, that's that's yeah. all I'm saying is yeah. that the only that, – that comes into play when you're talking about, like, literally the best players on earth. Yep. Um, and – yeah, I just raised it because we got I, I was doing some other interviews where people were really questioning Gobert and sort of like, well, if he can't even stay on the court in the you know, the second round against Houston, what's the point? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he was very, very good against Oklahoma City. He would have been very good against anybody in the Eastern Conference besides maybe Boston. And, you know, at some point, like if you're an elite defense all by yourself, you deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, you know, apparently uh Frank Isolo was <laughs> Going hard against the nice. uh, top 100 this morning on XM Radio. That's per an open floor emailer. Um, ben from Atlanta, though, says, Hey, guys, I read every word of the top 100 and loved it. My biggest quibble, however, is with Westbrook being ranked ahead of Chris Paul. The two are extremely close, I know, but isn't Paul the better passer, defender, and shooter? I'd love it if Ben or Rob could go into more depth on those two. So, Rob, you said Chris Paul was at an MVP level for most of last season, certainly the parts where he was healthy. 
What do you think? Uh, was was there ever any debate? Like to me, I wonder with the top ten whether some of this is political with you guys, where you're just like, look, if we put Russ below Chris Paul, it will lead to just like a shitstorm on the internet. Wait, 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 wait hold on. You're accusing it? us of a hot takes two hours ago. Now you're saying we're politically correct. And Only we don't... with the top 10 because it gets so overheated oh, and insane. I see. What, is there any truth to that? Did you think about it at all, Rob? I mean, we talked we talked through that comparison a lot. And I think to answer his question, yes, Chris Paul is the better shooter. He is the better passer. He is the better defender. But ultimately, you're talking about a guy who might not be on the court for 60 games or, you know, might only play 60 games in a season. And so Westbrook is just such a force of nature in terms of how he plays. And I think you're talking about two very different dynamics where Paul is the guy who really helps you navigate a playoff series, for example. He's going to get the ball in the right spots. He knows how to attack a defense versus Westbrook is a guy who just by sheer freaking gravity demands that the entire opponent's scouting report be built around him. And so he gives guys a lot of cover in a way that I think, you know, we definitely talk about, oh, you know, Damanis Sabonis or Victor Oladipo or James Harden, these guys who have gone on and had bigger careers elsewhere, had more success elsewhere. But if you're within a certain range of role player, Westbrook can make you look very good. And, and I think that's one thing that we don't often give him enough credit for. And, and almost kind of, as we talked about in the blurb, almost kind of a LeBron-ish way where, again, if you're Kevin Love playing with LeBron, yeah, you're going to have to give up some stuff. But if you're Kyle Korver playing with LeBron, you're going to look great. And I think Westbrook has some of that same tendency just because he can dominate the ball so much. And you can build around that in a way you can't, Paul. And so, yeah, we don't love Westbrook's defense. We wish he were a little better off the ball. We wish he were a little more efficient. But there just really aren't guys like him who are such downhill threats on such a consistent basis and just so relentless. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think this ranking kind of fairly respected. Yeah, it's not that there's not guys like him. There's no one like him. I mean, Westbrook is one of one, right? Yeah. And when he retires, there's going it's going to be the Iverson effect, right? Like the stands are going to just be so excited to put him into the Hall of Fame because he's going to be the guy that so many people identify with. In terms of whether we're being politically correct or not, I'm not sure that's the way to phrase it. What I'd say, though, is... we. I at least I do work against my own instincts when I do this in the name of fairness, right? Like I just said earlier, if it's my list, if I'm drafting Draymond seven, right? I have uh-huh. Draymond over Russ. I have Chris Paul over Russ, you know. But I think that if you're saying thirty GMs in a vacuum, you know, where are they gonna put Russ? I think given Chris's age, yeah, given Chris's health concerns, and then how many minutes can he really play on a night to night basis, I think in a vacuum you would be taking Russ over Chris for just next season. Can I just circle back to 50 spots lower? This is why I love Derek Favors, because Russell Westbrook, you'll put Russell Westbrook at number seven for them, but Favors at 51 is for you, okay? And I, I like that you you take your stands lower in the list, and then you I, I try like to keep I like Russ, too. I just no, don't I like do him too. as much as a lot of people do, right? And I, I think there's still a considerable number of people out there who look at Russ being behind Anthony Davis and Giannis, and say, what have those guys done, right? Like, I think there's there's people who believe Russell is a top-five guy. Last year, we heard from a lot of people who thought he should have been above Harden. We had Harden uh-huh. above him last year coming off the MVP. To us, clearly, Harden separated himself uh, this year. He moved himself up into that debate with, like, Durant and Curry and maybe Davis, as opposed to previous years where we were constantly debating Harden versus Westbrook versus Paul. And so I think, um, you know, that changing dynamic says maybe a little bit more about Harden than it does about Westbrook. Um, but, you know, one reason that 
I've been a little bit down on Westbrook recently, and it wound up being the determining factor for me between Giannis and Westbrook is Westbrook's weaknesses have just lingered. He really has not made a lot of progress on what he doesn't do well. Some of the inefficient shot selection, turnovers, uh, not trusting his teammates in key moments of the playoffs. The things that I've always tried to summarize with this idea of does he play with purpose or a purpose, right? He plays hard, but he doesn't always play smart. He hasn't really found a way to like smooth off those rough edges. And I'm at the point now with him age-wise where I don't think he's ever going to get it. So if I see a guy like Giannis, who is a comparable offensive threat and a significantly better defensive threat, and he's also shown the ability to just get meaningfully better year after year after year, when I'm looking forward as a one-year projection, I think a player like Giannis deserves the, the, the edge over Westbrook. Yeah, I think that's a fair bet. And I also... That's why Russ is so interesting. He's he's like very difficult to wrap your head around and people want to talk about him in these binary terms where he's either like a superstar who everybody should be in love with or he is trash and and like he's great in a lot of ways and like deeply flawed in others and completely intractable um which is why I like him. There's he's unique and makes the whole sport more interesting. But all of this has gotten too chummy with the top 10. So Let's finish off with two things. Number one is Kevin, who says, I think Ben and Rob played it safe this year with their placement of Anthony Davis. It would have been a perfect opportunity to foresee his first MVP and put him number three, probably even number two. I agree with Kevin. I got to tell you, uh, and I wrote for Friday my top 25 criticisms of the top 100. My... I basically got to the end of the list and was like, I'm not criticizing their top 10. It's fine. But had it been me, I would have been like, all right, let's roll the dice and throw Anthony Davis and say he's the second best player in the world or potentially number one. I don't know if I believe in him enough or care enough to put him over LeBron, but how much consideration did you give Anthony Davis? At number one, we did not give him any consideration for number one. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I think... It's easy for you We're gonna as, get to, hold on. We're as gonna this little get... leech to be like, oh, yeah, maybe he'd be the number one guy. But if you were really saying, hey, we're doing the SI Top 100, this is what Sports Illustrated stands for, Anthony Davis is the number one player. Exactly. After <laughs> we just watched what LeBron did, I don't think you have the backbone for that. Sorry, Andrew, no offense. That's not saying you're a weak there, person, there but two... it's easy to say in theory, not in practice. Listen, you were bought off by LeBron's Instagram comment this afternoon, so you're still riding high, uh, unreliable <laughs> How dare narrator. you? How dare you? But the... All right, there are two halves of this, because I think the LeBron conversation is its own conversation. Anthony Davis, though, I think is just amazing enough to be like... I, I would put him above Durant. I would put Steph to... Anthony Davis, number three, and Durant, number four. Um, but I guess we're kind of splitting hairs with players who are Ooh, that good. That that really hurts to hear you say that. I mean, look. You know what actually hurts? Sorry. And, Rob, thank you for letting us just bullshit with each other back and forth here. Uh, <laughs> but what actually is really frustrating, and this is, this is what, the other half of the conversation, I don't think LeBron should be number one at this point. Um, his his game has slipped in a lot of different ways, and it does name them, name it them, does name reflect, them, name them. It, well, all right, so besides defense, I mean, we'll say that's one way. No, no, Defensive efforts, one slippage. Where's the other slippage? I would also say that, like, 
the Westbrook comparison is apt, and Rob pointed that out talking about Russ, but I don't necessarily think that's a compliment to LeBron. I think he needs to play on his own terms at this point in his career, and it's one of the reasons he's a favorite for MVP, and he's great, and he's great enough to like carry the Cavs past JV Eastern Conference competition, but... Uh, I don't know. I just think that... I don't view that as slippage to his game. I mean, I do think it could be a character flaw, right? Like, if, if you're ranking the best leaders in the NBA, I would not have LeBron won. I'll put it that way. Yes. But I think... I you think, look at his numbers, man. He's hanging on with his very strong statistical portfolio, strong uh, ability no, no, no. to carry teams to wins. I mean, his clutch play during the regular season was completely absurd last year. Clutch play during the playoffs. He is determining wins and losses more than Anthony Davis is. He I, just is. I hear you. What I'm saying, though, is that his decision to just stop playing defense for the last two years and the way he has chosen to play offense and the and the terms that he sets for any team he's going to be on are enough to where like i would dock him if there were someone with a good enough case yeah. and durant should have that case except that he's been dicking around in golden state for the last 3 years i'm i'm dead serious all right, all right. it's frustrating uh, you're getting a little sidetracked by narrative just real quick on um you know what you're saying about lebron it's a red flag it's on the horizon right there's a very good chance he won't be the number one player next year. If his uh, issues with needing to be the center of everything and having all the attention end up with a first-round exit for the Lakers or, God forbid, a lottery trip for the Lakers, I find it very difficult to believe he's going to be the number one player on next year's list. He's been number one for six straight seasons. I'm pretty convinced that would kind of end it, right? So if he winds up, the chickens come home to roost on his personality and leadership style it will dock him. I just don't think you can preemptively dock him for that quite yet, given how well he played for two months in May, when he's consistently getting to his ceiling that just no other individual player has, not even KD, who is much better than you've been giving him credit for no, over the last couple of minutes. He's great. But I, let's get back to Davis. Let's let Rob uh, you know, describe Davis in terms of, like we went back and forth on Harden versus Davis in terms of sort of like offensive role and ability to help teammates and the positional issue. Can you just walk people through that, Rob, in terms of why Harden got the nod over Davis, even though we view him as a possible MVP candidate next year? And as you put in your blurb, you know, basically the best two-way guy in the league. Yeah, I mean, with Harden, I think you're talking about just a constant machine that churns out 50-win seasons. And you're talking about a level of success that, when he's had Chris Paul alongside him, when he's had lesser supporting cast alongside him in Houston, can get your team to a level that Davis hasn't been able to sustain on any consistent basis. And some of that's no fault of his own. Like the team hasn't always been there for New Orleans, but you're just talking about a different level of regular season and playoff success with Harden as your main guy. And some of that is just as Ben mentioned, the fact that you can run so much offense through him and there are trade-offs to that. Maybe he's not going to give you a full defensive effort. Maybe he's going to wear down at the end of the season but we've had the opportunity to see that because he's played more than three playoff series in his career. And so Davis is on the cusp of something really great. But I think if we've learned anything over the course of making this list, I think it was, it was three or four years ago, we had Davis ranked as the third best player in the NBA. And we kind of jumped the gun a little bit with him in terms of what his potential could be. And I think he's getting to that point now. And I think it's totally fair to argue that he deserves maybe a number three ranking above Harden and Curry, if you want to swing that way. Yeah, But when you're talking about betting against two of the surest things in terms of generating wins between Curry and Harden, two of the best offensive players the league has ever seen, 
and guys who can exert that influence on a more consistent basis than maybe anyone. I think that was just a hard sell for us. So I don't blame you guys for it, but it does. You do save your your takes for the first ninety spots on this list, and don't like because be, I and I say that because the only that's not way, true. That's not true. Giannis has not won a playoff series. We had him over true. Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard's a take, man. You got to give us credit for that's a take. I, I'll give you, you agree for with it. us on the take, but a lot of people don't. And that's, I think having I, that's true. And I think having Giannis at six is a take too. Yeah, I, mean, I really do because I, numbers wise, like fantasy basketball, sure he's top six. Nobody's going to question that, right? I, I presume. I don't know how fantasy basketball works. You know, guys like you do that. <laughs> you know, reality based people like me don't. But to say he is above some of these other guys with more uh, consistent postseason resumes is going out there on a little bit of the limb. I also just think, frankly, like. The top three to me is so clear, and it's been so clear that well, it's more of a take to try to break up that the the James, Katie, Steph triumvirate than it is to just say, yeah, those guys are still the three best. And that's the thing is, you would have to say, like saying that Anthony Davis is even going to be top four, you you're betting on. Hard and regressing, and basically showing up out of shape, which could happen. And, I mean, yeah, that's and, absolutely possible, and that that would be yeah. my only reason for putting him there. Um, hey, I don't hate it. I mean, I, I think I think it's a little bit more of a take to have Davis over any of the guys that are above him. Uh, and R- Rob is right that Harden by himself has generated so much success in Houston that at this point, I think we probably take it for granted at how outrageous it is that he's been able to create that. I mean, you've never respected him properly. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, I, I still don't, if we're being real. Uh, we are being real, uh, and we all know it. But um, the LeBron thing, yeah, I I don't know. I, I it does it does sort of bum me out because I I really feel like if Durant were in a situation where he was asked to do more, it wouldn't be so crazy, it, and it probably wouldn't be crazy at all if if Durant had been on the Celtics for the last couple of years. Well, I told you about my panic attack last year, where I was like, "We definitely should have had Durant over LeBron at number one." We're missing the, these yeah. two boats passing in the night, and like we're being too conservative. And I really deeply felt—I mean, you know how ridiculously seriously I take this, right? And you know how much I respect Durant's game. And to me, it was like one of those crisis moments internally where it's like, oh, man, like we're going to be the guys who didn't crown KD when we should have. Right. I did not feel that at all this year, Andrew. I really I I really felt like the gap between LeBron and KD this year was arguably bigger than some of the previous seasons. Well, and part of that to me is I feel like KD's game has kind of plateaued a little bit. And the LeBron stuff, look, he's amazing. And the, the like. Let's not forget that four months ago he went into Boston and like was the Terminator in Game Seven. I don't even know what it. I I don't have internet, but his yeah. numbers in that game. I remember being like, "Holy shit! Like, are you kidding me?" But uh, he is in like Westbrook mode at this point, where he is going to be very high usage. He's not going to pay attention on defense. Like I don't think he's going to play on a on a team that finishes in the top half of the league in defense for the rest of his career. And I agree that with stuff kind of matters. Will you humor me uh, for one second here? I just want to read off some of LeBron's accomplishments that you're sort of describing. And I'm going to read straight from the top 100. So this is going to be story time hour. But just really think about this. He led the playoffs in PER, win shares, minutes, points, shots, free throws, and assists. He averaged 34 points, 9.1 rebounds, 9 assists. During 22 playoff games, he tallied eight 40-point games, four triple-doubles, multiple buzzer-beating game winners. He played all 48 minutes in a playoff game. 
for the first time since he was 21. He had the first 50-point game in the finals since Michael Jordan in 1993. But at some point, you have to factor in the, the, the idea that he cost them a superstar in Kyrie. The team is full of three-point shooters who do nothing but stand there while LeBron does everything. And he it's it's that way for a reason. Did I say I was done, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> I could, look, I could, I could keep going on. He's no, definitely I, created hey. a situation in Cleveland, and I'm sure he'll, it'll happen in yeah. the Lakers, where he needs to be superhuman and can yeah. go do that. But I, I agree. He all roads lead to LeBron, just as he's you know he's built his town. You know he's on the throne in yeah. the middle of the city, and everything runs through him. There's no question about it's it. Perfectly tailored to make him look amazing. I don't which think is great. I don't think you can accuse us of though of being blind to those faults, right? I right. don't think that we're saying I'm not. this is just yeah. a this is just a free yeah. freewheeling discussion yeah, at this point for sure. Even taking into account all of his faults, the things that I just listed is any player in the league or any player ever capable of doing those things besides Mike? Is there anyone else who could do all of those things that I just mentioned? No, and that's why LeBron is the second best player of all time. However, if KD had just beaten him in a finals yeah. and was not and on a team that wasn't the Warriors, would he be number one on this list? I guess to my, me, I think the answer is definitely yes. Here's my question, though. Would he have been able to do it, right? If KD doesn't go to Golden State... First of all, does he make the finals? I think yes, I think he's good enough. Well, there you go. Maybe you got more faith in KD after all of these I, arguments. Maybe you've got more faith in KD than I do. Let me tell you, Ben. I, Katie's from DC. I have always had more faith in Durant than you do, but it is what it is. And the fact is, Rob, what do you think? If he had stayed in OKC, would KD have won a title over LeBron in either 2017 or 18? Or does LeBron's number one ranking reflect some? And sort of supremacy over any individual other player. Addendum to that question: If du- <laughs> if Durant had beaten him, had beaten LeBron with Russ this year, is he above LeBron? I don't think he would have beaten LeBron, so I don't think the second part really applies. And I'm also wow. confused because if LeBron is structuring everything where he has to do too much, but Durant is dicking around with a super talented team by doing too little, like what is the optimal zone for <laughs> well, these guys? In which they're yeah, what's the appropriate level of dicking around, Andrew? And that yes. is an interesting question. And again, I think a lot of people will hear this and be like, "Oh, well, Andrew's full of shit." But I, I what I, the answer is that it is. It's a delicate balance, and it's out of balance for Durant. And I also think it's quietly out of balance for LeBron, where I think you need to find a sweet spot in between working with others and also sort of challenging people. And that, and this, all of this stuff applies to literally only LeBron and Durant because they're Hall of Fame guys who are top 15 guys who get discussed differently than other players in the NBA. But I do think that that's a real phenomenon. You're you're raising great points. Can we just put the gun to your head, though, and say, would you have had LeBron won if you did this list? I would have Steph Curry won. If not for really, If not for For this year. No, no, no. I, I get why you guys don't. Because no, what I'm saying is, let's say you're in RC because you know you're you're backseat driving right now, which is fine. I'm saying, guess what? I'm too tired to take the wheel. I'm going to just let you have control of the vehicle. We're doing the cross country trip, and Andrew, you're going to have control of the stereo. You've got two hands on the wheel, and it's ultimately, difficult. you've got one road that's going to take you to Steph. You're going to have one road that takes you to KD, and you're going to have one road that takes you to LeBron for that number one it spot. It depends. If if I'm doing my own rankings, stop hedging, Andrew, man. No, no, no this I'm is not, the Sports Illustrated I'm Top 100. Not hedging. I, you're in charge of the Mercedes Benz. That is the Sports Illustrated Top 100. Which road are you taking? 
Okay. Uh, if I'm representing Sports Illustrated, yeah. I am going to have to like have a conversation with Chris Stone, the editor-in-chief, <laughs> and be like, yo, like, is, is it cool if I call Steph better than LeBron? And like, can we do this? Uh, I, and I, I own your take. Do you really? Would you really have done it? No, Honestly, uh, I think it's fair. I mean, there, you can make an argument for Steph. I'm not sure. You keep is, interrupting is, me. I can okay. own my take. Steph is number one to me, despite very real durability concerns. That I think any objective person, like I'm a hopeless Steph believer, but I also think that like he does create more value than anyone in the league and has made Golden State possible for a lot of tangible reasons in terms of gravity and all that other shit, and then a lot of intangible reasons in terms of he's got a lot of the same qualities Dirk has, except he's a lot more effective than Dirk was. Um, So I think that there's a real case that he's the most valuable player in in the sport and has been for a while, and we've just been kind of like living LeBron fan fiction in a lot of ways. Um, Having said all that, the durability stuff is real and a, and a reason to have him three on this list. So objectively speaking, you guys are right. Would you but, have Le- well, LeBron or KD though? Um, LeBron. Okay. Given so, that, given where we are with KD, LeBron. But it, it actually it, makes that me feel me better. Out. I mean, that was a real roundabout way of getting to where we got. But I appreciate you. You took the LeBron route. You went the right direction. And I think next year. It's going to be really, really interesting. And maybe we close on this note. How many guys do you think are going to be in the mix for number one next season? Let's say, let's just say LeBron goes out in the first round. I uh-huh. think that's a reasonable hypothetical, right? How many guys, Rob, are you willing to say are going to be in the number one mix uh, next season? And keep in mind, Durant could be a Nick by the time you guys are doing this next <laughs> season. So what do you think? What do you think, Rob? I think there's probably going to be four guys, and I think it's probably going to be the top five minus Harden. I think Davis yeah. is going to get into that conversation. I think it's a very realistic possibility that Giannis could be knocking on the door of that conversation. But, and, and, you know, like maybe there's a crazy universe in which Joel Embiid is a part of that conversation, although I would think health would make that very difficult. Ooh, but in terms like of that. pure game, um, I mean. Hey, what about, I got another Davis sleeper for you. It's, it's a really slim yeah. chance with Embiid, but I, I that's yeah. a version of NBA reality that I'd love to live in. Oh, I think Kawhi yeah. might have a better chance than Embiid. Oh, true. Yeah. True. I, w- I would say Embiid has like a 3% chance of being in that conversation, or maybe five, and Kawhi has a 10% chance. So yeah, like, I think plausibly you're talking about four or five players probably. So I would say LeBron, I would say KD, I would say Steph, I would say Davis. I would say Kawhi. I would say possibly Giannis. So I would say five or six. And just for context, we have never really seriously considered more than three players for the number one spot for basically the last five years. So this is a really... Remember a couple of years ago, I was talking to you about the stranded superstar theory. This is sort of like my new theory. Like the jockeying for the throne is about to get really, really real uh, this LeBron LA era, it's not going to be a continuation of what we've seen these last eight years where everyone just assumes that he's by far the best player. It's going to continue indefinitely. There's going to be slippage there, and that's going to create opportunity for a lot of different guys. It's about to get really, really real. Well, Ben, you are going on vacation next week, and we will be back to two episodes a week when you return uh, the following week. And actually, I don't know when this is going to air. But anyways, September 20th area, we're getting back to two episodes a week and real basketball returns. This was a fantastic way to close out the offseason. 
Rob, thank you very much. It's really difficult to be on a podcast with two people who are in the same room and yelling at each other and just kind of like fill in wherever we ask. But you've been awesome. Thank you for hanging out for much longer than we planned. Um, And uh, with that, Ben... I will talk to you soon. This was much better. The last, by the way, the last time we discussed the top 100 on a podcast was in like mid-December. We revisited the top yeah. 100 rankings, but that was the last. That was the only time in the history of Open Floor where we've had to delete a podcast <laughs> because. <laughs> well, look, Andrew, I, I'd say first of all, you've learned a lot along the way. There's no question. Very you know, testy. More sophisticated in your analysis of players, but uh, everyone should go to Apple Podcasts, search for Open Floor. It's two words. Uh, find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. And also, we know you guys have top 100 takes. We know you have training camp takes, media day takes, preseason takes, predictions, award stuff. We want to hear all of that. Email us at openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. We will get to all of that stuff. Rob, again, I want to echo what Andrew said. Thank you so much for bringing lots of insight and also a certain level of peacemaking to these, uh, uh, you know, to this occasion. And Andrew, uh, until next week, I will talk to you. All right. Take it easy, man. Another great edition of open floor is in the books. Did you know locked on has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search locked on Lakers, a Celtics fan, search locked on Celtics, Warriors fans, search locked on Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.